Welcome to our online midweek Bible class. This is going to be our last lesson from Hebrews covering the topic of Jesus is the greatest and superior to all. This lesson is a continuation from last time, so if you've not yet listened to the last lesson, you might want to go back and do so before listening to this one. Also, please read chapters 9, verse 15 through the entire chapter 10 to prepare for this second lesson on why Jesus' blood sacrifice is greater and superior to any other sacrifice. So please pause the podcast and do what you have to do to prepare for this lesson. Well, welcome back. The first Mosaic Covenant, as we have learned all along, was unable to bring access to God. That is what everything is designed to do in this new covenant, this New Testament, is to bring us to God. The Mosaic Covenant was unable to do that. It only provided for a limited relation between people and God, and that relationship was not permanent. That's why Jesus is superior to any goat, bull, ram, or sheep sacrifice. Go for just a moment to Hebrews 10, verse 1 through 4, and it talks about this. It says that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. It's not the reality themselves. It's for this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, here's his argument, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of the sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. It only existed until the next sin, and then sacrifice had to be made over and over again to reorient this relationship between Israel and God. Now Jesus comes along and brings a better, superior, greater covenant, and it gives us full access to God on an eternal basis, not just annual. Jesus brought a perfect sacrifice that was only done once, and it took care of, listen to this, our eternal redemption, covering and removing and blotting out all sin. Jesus brings a greater and superior sacrifice. He's also the greater and superior priest. And through that covenant, he provides his beautiful, eternal redemption for all of us. So let's start in chapter 9, verse 15, and let's pick up where we left off last time in our introduction, first part of this lesson. Verse 15, and for this cause, he's the mediator of the new covenant, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under the first testament, they who are called might receive the promise of of eternal inheritance. Now, let's untangle that for just a moment. What he's saying is this, for this cause, which goes back to what he said before, because of the sacrificial death of Christ, or by virtue of his death, he has become the mediator of this new covenant by means of his death. He has become, by his death, this mediator of this greater and superior, better covenant that we've talked about as well. That's the only way he could provide for us 
And he had to provide that for us, what he wanted for us. Now, the word mediator has to do with being a go-between. Jesus, by the act of his death, becomes a go-between from God, between God and us. Jesus' death was a payment for sin, which also becomes the bridge to our God. His death, then, was the primary act of mediation that opened the way for us to have full access to God. And that's why Jesus said in his ministry, I am the way, I am the door. Now, I want you to notice something very important. It says that in his death, a new mediator of a new covenant is what he becomes. He brought about redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant. Now, what is that first covenant? It's the Mosaic covenant. Do you know that when Jesus died, he redeemed all those who were underneath the Mosaical Covenant? That's what it's saying. Jesus the Messiah became the mediator, not only in order that he might pay the penalties of sinners who lived since the cross, but that he might also pay the penalty of sinners who lived before the cross. And when Jesus died, he gathered up all the sinners from the beginning of time, from Adam to the end of time, in that one sacrifice. And God forgives all all of us, on the basis of our faith in the fact that he would have a perfect sacrifice coming in Jesus Christ. And since God operates in an eternal now, and there is no past, present, or future with him, Christ is described as the the lamb that was slain from before the foundation of the world. In God's mind, before the foundation of the world, It had already been done through Jesus. So the sacrifice of Christ is retroactive, clear all the way back to Adam. Before Christ died, salvation was on credit, but payment was made at Calvary on the cross. I love what Ephesians 4, 8 through 9 tells us. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men, Now that he's ascended, what is it but that he's also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? And that's what it's telling us here in verse 15. They were under the first covenant, but it was only by his death that they were able to inherit this eternal promise. The first covenant could not bring them into God's presence, into having access with him. So let's summarize a little bit so we can make sure we're on the same page here. God designed an eternal inheritance, right? The title for it came by a promise, verse 15. He promised an eternal inheritance. The problem, the obstacle, was sin. That obstacle had to be removed. The Mosaic law couldn't remove it. The Mosaic covenant could not remove it. So there must be a new covenant to remove the obstacle. And here comes Jesus. Jesus comes, provides a new covenant, removes the obstacle, and the promise is fulfilled of eternal inheritance to those who believe. Now, that's the simple truth of verse 15. The new covenant was ratified by the death of Jesus and provided full salvation. And this has been a stumbling block to Israel to this day. A dead Messiah never fits into their theology. But when you look in chapter 9, verse 16 through chapter 10, you see that there are several reasons why the death of Jesus was necessary. 
Number one, he talks about a will. A will always becomes executed after the death. In verse 16, in the case of a will, it's necessary to prove the death of one who made it. A will goes into effect with the death of a person who leaves the will. Verse 17, because a will is in force only when somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. As long as that person is alive, you can't collect on the will. It's a simple point. God made a legacy to Israel. God made a legacy to all people. The legacy was he would give us an eternal inheritance, but you cannot receive the legacy of God's inheritance until the one who gives that legacy dies. And that's the point of this verse. A will cannot operate until the one who made it dies. Therefore, Jesus, it was necessary for him to die. He had to die to release the legacy of God, his inheritance to all of us who would believe in Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is given to all believers. That's God's will and testament for us. And Jesus' death releases it to our possession. And some of it is ours now, and it will be ours in its fullness when we go to be with him. And it's all because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So the first reason for death then is simply that will can go into effect with his death. In this case, it's the death of Christ that brings the will into effect. The second reason for the death of Christ, why it was necessary, is because of the covenant that God makes with us, that God wants to forgive us. And the covenant that God makes in, with people about forgiveness involves and demands a blood sacrifice. The first time Jesus' death brings us into the effect, the salvation of God. The second idea, the second illustration is about a covenant a forgiveness demands blood. So he is our will. He is our covenant. And that's why in verse 18 it says, this is why the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. Now that's directly in line with what he just said. It takes a different shade of meaning, however. And here we see it with the word covenant used in terms of a covenant and not so much a will. In other words, there has to be a death of somebody because it's always been that covenants are ratified by blood. And that's the point. Blood was a part of the dedication or the ratification of covenants, even in the Mosaic covenant. The first one was dedicated with blood. In the case of the Mosaic covenant, the death of animals, typical and prophetic, looking forward to the death of Christ, which would be ratified in that second covenant. And in both these aspects, Jesus needs to die. He needs to die, first of all, to release the will of God. And he needs to die, secondly, because covenants are ratified or made secure by the death and the bloodshed of some individuals. If you've got the death of somebody releasing something in verses 16 and 17, and you've got the death of something being ratified, the death of someone ratifying the covenant in verse 18, and then you take it a step further, then you still got somebody who's a living mediator of a covenant. And what that means is that you have to have the resurrection because our Jesus did not remain in the grave. He arose from the dead. So when you put all these things together, they have to allow for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He had to die to release his will. He had to live to make it operate. He had to die to ratify the covenant. 
He has to live to keep the terms of it. And so the resurrection is so much part of the death of Jesus that was necessary for the will and for the covenant. You got to have his resurrection. Now look in verses 19 through 21 of chapter 9. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which he has commanded you to keep. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. You see that? Do you understand that? When the first covenant came, it was all covered with blood. This was Moses' act of ratifying the Mosaical law, the Mosaical covenant. It was by the sacrificial offering of Jesus, by his death, that we are redeemed. And bloodshed is the only picture of his death. Look at verse 22. In fact, the law requires nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, there were some exceptions. You see that word nearly, that the words nearly everything? It's in there. It's there for a reason. Because under the Mosaic law, for a very poor Israelite who really couldn't afford to purchase an animal and didn't have one available, they were allowed not to bring a blood sacrifice, but to bring a small portion of very fine flour. And they were to bring that as a sin offering. In verse 23, then it says, It was necessary then for the copy of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. If you just stop right there, you got enough of this. He had to die. Listen, if your whole system had to be purified with sacrifice, then you must know that the heavenly one must be purified with a far better sacrifice for everything, not just nearly everything. So let's tie in, go to Hebrews 10, 9 through 14, and let's tie these verses into what we're talking about. Jesus says, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. Sets aside the first covenant, Mosaic covenant, to establish the new covenant, the New Testament. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for all sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And then drop down to verse 18. And where... These have been forgiven. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. It was necessary that the copy has to have sacrifices. So how much more necessary that the reality had to have a sacrifice? Not just any old sacrifice, but a better and greater sacrifice. All the blood of the old covenant was nothing but a picture of the shed blood of Jesus. And the death of Jesus Christ is that which satisfies God. God was so satisfied with Jesus and what he did that he highly exalted him and gave him a name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in earth and under the earth. God exalted him and lifted him up to the highest place he could lift him to, his own right hand because of what he had done. He was so satisfied, so pleased with Jesus. He's not satisfied with me. He's not pleased with what I could do. Did you know that? 
That's why I have to come to God in the name of Jesus Christ. And I hold on to Jesus and the salvation he offers me because God is pleased with this son. And when I enter into God's presence, I don't enter by my own righteousness. I enter in the righteousness of Christ because God is pleased with his righteous son and only Jesus. But the death of Jesus Christ purchased my forgiveness. He recognized that God was the one that had to be satisfied, and he offered his blood and thus revealed God's love and mercy and forgiveness for all of us who believe. So in verse 24, it says, Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. No, he entered the heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. And, and that's the proof of what's being said in verse 23, that there has to be a better sacrifice connected with the heavenly things. Jesus never entered the earthly Holy of Holies. He went into the presence of God, and he did it for you. He did it for us. And isn't that beautiful to realize that when he went in, we went in with him because we're in Christ, ushered into the presence of God with him. In verse 25, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. He didn't have to repeat this sacrifice, did he? He didn't have to keep going to the cross. He did it once. It's the better sacrifice, first of all, because when he got done, he entered right into the presence of God and stayed there. And number two, because he never had to do it again. It's the perfect sacrifice. And that's what it's been in verse 26. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. You see, if Jesus had to repeat this sacrifice, if Jesus' offering had to be repeated, it would have had to been repeated for every single individual who lived from the foundation of the world. Jesus would have had to die throughout history over and over and over and over and over and over and over. He would have had to be dying and be dying and dying and dying since Adam. But verse 26 continues, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, if the Mosaic covenant needed blood, so did the new covenant. If the old way needed sacrifices, so does the new one. But if it's a new one, it's the better and greater sacrifice. And it's better and greater because Jesus, when he finished it, entered into God's presence. It's better and greater because he never had to repeat it. If it need to be repeated, it would have had to be repeated since the day of Adam. But it's not repeated. It was so totally effective. It was done once and for all, and that was it. And it says it was done once into the, into the consummation of the ages. When Jesus died, it was the end of the ages. Did you know that? There were a lot of ages up to Jesus Christ. How many ages have there been since Christ's death? Just one. This is the last age. These are the last days. This is the last time. There is no other age after this one here on earth. Since the time that Jesus came, it is the last time. This is Messiah's day. There are lots of ages. There was the age when Satan, sorry, when Satan fell. There was the age when Adam sinned. There was the age when God saw the wickedness of the man and destroyed the earth by flood. There was the age when God spoke at Sinai, and there was the age of the prophets and the kings. But the consummation of the ages was Christ at the Calvary. Is it any wonder that the apostles in the New Testament expected Jesus to come at any moment? 
Because once he had arrived the first time, it was the end of the age. And the end of the age has been going on for over 2,000 years. This is the last age. This is the Messiah's age. And at the end of the age, by one sacrifice, he put away sin. He didn't cover it up anymore, did he? He removed it. So verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he'll appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him in that age to come is what he's talking about there. First time to take away the sins of those who would believe in him. The second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And from that thought, we see the thought in relation not only to Christ, in verse 27, which is the primary meaning of the verse, but also in relation to everything else. Here it is. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, they face the judgment. All have to die. All are destined for death until the second return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what follows our death? Judgment. Here comes judgment. We're destined to die. In our case, judgment follows. But in Jesus' case, Christ was offered once to take away the sin and the sins of many and to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus died once. And then what happened to him? Not judgment. No, he's returned a second time. Not to die for sin, but to bring salvation. So if Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, why? Because it's appointed for us to die once. He only had to die once. And he died for us. In our sins, he bore his body on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin, so that sinful me might be declared sin-free. Judgment demands death. And sin only needs to be dealt with once. It'll be, it will come to us back in the blessing of full salvation because of Jesus Christ. Do you see what a perfect sacrifice he is? You see, the problem in verse 27 is that we're going to die and we're facing judgment. But here's the good news. It's in the appearing of Jesus. There are three appearings here in, in chapter 9. Did you see them? Appearing number 1 is in verse 26. He's appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. This appearing here, first came, he appears here and to the cross was the end of all these ages. These are the last days until we come to the eternal age in heaven when Christ comes back. The second appearings in verse 24, at the end of the verse, he appeared heaven itself, and now he appears for us in God's presence. And then in verse 28, here's a third appearing. One of these days in the future, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you waiting for him? Uh, see, he, he's, he's coming back. These three appearances, these three appearances of Christ give us the account of his work on the cross, his ministering to us now, and his return. He is our perfect sacrifice. Well, this lesson includes our study of Jesus as greater and superior to all. I hope that these eight lessons have strengthened your faith and increased your hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's going to be a pause in our midweek online Bible study for a few weeks, but afterwards we'll return with a new series I'm working on and look forward to starting that new series with you soon. God bless you.